0: top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and
1: welcome to episode 13 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Rick Becker and we have another jam-packed show for you today. My colleague Jim Ward will start things off with an audio clip from Pat O'Keefe, sports director for News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn. We'll hear from the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, John Fitzgerald, about some special events on the horizon for the organization. We'll wrap up the show with my interview with Patrick Mahoney, who's the author of Recovering an Irish Voice from the American Frontier. This is an interesting topic for anyone who loves Irish or American history. Right now, let's turn things over to Jim Ward. Thanks, Rick. I'm Jim Ward, and right now we're going to be listening to an
2: answer from Pat O'Keefe. Among other jobs in the sports industry, Pat is the sports director and anchor for News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn. Hear more of my colleague Rick Becker's interview with Pat O'Keefe in episode 11 of the Irish Baseball podcast at irishbaseball.org. Right now, Pat O'Keefe will discuss how he discovered that sports journalism and
3: broadcasting was the right career path for him. You know, it's the classic, I think, story of I had the tape recorder when I was younger, starting around 10 or 11 years old. I would turn down the sound watching the Yankee game. I grew up in Knockers, New York, just outside of the Bronx. My dad was and is as big a Yankee fan as you'll find. So I became as big a Yankee fan as you'll find. And I would turn down the volume and I would do play by play. I had a scorebook. I would watch the games at home, and I would keep scoring home. I remember that was especially challenging during the All-Star game, back when they let pitchers hit in the All-Star game, all the changes and all the lineup changes. But you know what? I kept up to date, and this was before the days where now, you know, if you miss a couple of innings or a couple of batters, you hop on ESPN.com, you read the play-by-play. Back then, you had to keep up to date. Otherwise, you would miss something, and you'd have to piece it together yourself. So I always had that level of interest in sports beyond – A normal fan and my friends growing up we all played sports we were all into sports it wasn't until I was around 12 or 13 years old that I realized that my interest level in this was probably at a different point than theirs was and they were great fans and they loved playing and they loved watching the games but I never wanted to do anything in my life outside of sports and I'm 41 years old now knock on wood I haven't had to do anything in my life outside of sports right now. So um, while it's nowhere close to being finished, it's been a pretty good run so far. Uh, And, you know, then you get to, uh, you know, high school, I played sports, college, my sports playing career was pretty much over by the end of my freshman year. And then you start concentrating on the things and training yourself for a possible career, you know? And it wasn't just broadcasting back then. You know, I'm so old now that I was, Going to high school and college when people read newspapers. So, I would, why well, I wanted to, my dream job, if you ask me in high school in the 90s, I wanted to be the beat writer for the New York Post for the Knicks. That was my dream job. The Knicks were huge back then. Um, obviously, the media business has certainly shifted and it started to shift significantly when I was in college. Uh, a perfect time for me because I was able to kind of switch my focus from print journalism to electronic journalism, whether it was you know, play-by-play on the radio or television or uh, sports anchor role that I have filled for News 12 for the last 14-plus years. And, you know, 14 years later, I'm I'm, I'm still doing all of those things.
2: That was News 12 sports anchor and sports director Pat O'Keefe talking about how he discovered that sports journalism and sports broadcasting was his right career path. My career path getting to sports broadcasting can also took – a weird uh, trip as well, and I kind of relate to what Pat was talking about because when I was a kid, I'd be listening to play-by-play guys like Ken Coleman and uh, Joe Stiglione, uh, for the Red Sox, uh, uh, Ned Martin, uh, who was on the radio and then would go over to Nesson uh, for the Red Sox as well, Bob Wilson, the legendary Bob Wilson calling Boston Bruins hockey. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, Boston Celtics basketball, Gil Santos, the great WBZ sports broadcaster who covered the New England Patriots for many, many years on radio. So I was lucky to grow up and listen to all these outstanding play-by-play guys, and then later on, you know, getting to listen to guys like Doc Emmerich and... You know, some great baseball guys as well. Uh, of course, we've grown up Saturdays watching Vince Scully on the NBC Game of the Week with Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek. Uh, you know, that goes back a lot of years. And then, you know, trying to emulate these guys. It was funny as a kid, I would sit there. And every once in a while, I'll pull out a tape recorder and start emulating some of these guys or putting myself in a in a broadcast booth with some of these guys or making, like, I filled in for Vince Scully. You know, God forbid I'd get a chance to fill in for Vince Scully on Dodgers baseball, but I would put myself in those positions. But that, those are the great things about being a kid, and like Pat was talking about, you you live to say, oh, man, I could, I might have a chance to do this, and you know, I ended up having a great chance to do this, and for... You know, last 22, 23 years, I've been fortunate enough to be a play-by-play voice and a color analyst for University of Southern Maine uh, basketball and hockey and baseball and softball. And Pat has also kind of diversified his career, you know, 14 years at News 12 as their anchor and sports director for the last 10 years covering Manhattan College basketball, Fordham University on YES Network, LIU Brooklyn, football for Wagner College, on the MSG Network uh, covering, you know, pregames, intermissions, uh Post games for the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers on 98.7 ESPN, and also covering the Big East on the Big East Digital Network, you know, and digital networks now have become huge. He's done that now for the last seven years. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be with WMPG Radio in Portland, Maine, and the University of Southern Maine, but, uh, you know, at my start was in public access and you know i didn't never thought i would have an opportunity until i saw that come along and there was an opportunity there to cover local high school football and stuff and so i did i went out and did football basketball i did some baseball did a bowling event one time uh, but you know you just never know where your start's going to be getting into this crazy world of sports broadcasting be sure to check out more of rick becker's interview with pat o'keefe in episode 11 on irishbaseball.org right now we're going to send you back to my broadcast partner rick becker I'm Jim Ward. This is the Irish Baseball Podcast.
1: Thank you, Jim. I'm Rick Becker. In just a few minutes, you'll hear my interview with Patrick Mahoney, author of Recovering an Irish Voice from the American Frontier. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a product of the Irish American Baseball Society. Our founder, John Fitzgerald, is always looking to add value to your membership in the organization. Right now, John will talk about some exciting events he has planned.
4: Hey, it's John from the Irish American Baseball Society. I hope everybody's summer's going well. Uh, We've got some really positive developments at the Irish American Baseball Society. Uh, The first thing is on July 24th, we will be at Irish Heritage Night for the New York Boulders. The New York Boulders are an independent minor league team. They play just north of New York City. If you're familiar with the Boulders, if you've ever been out to the ballpark or if you're in the area, you should come out to the ballpark. We've got uh, discounted tickets for members. You can buy those through the link in the members area of the website. The discount is about $7 a ticket. So we're always looking for ways that we can give more value to our members. So that's one way. Everybody at the ballpark that night will receive a limited edition baseball card that commemorates Dirty Jack Doyle. And if you've been following us on social media, you know that Dirty Jack Doyle was born in Kerry, stole over 500 bases in his career in the game of baseball for 70 years. So. We're going to commemorate him, and um, if you if you're one of the first, I think 2,500 at the ballpark that day, you will get uh, a baseball card of Dirty Jack Doyle. We will also be at Irish Night for the Hartford Yard Goats up in Hartford, Connecticut, and that is on August 1st. The first 2,500 fans will receive a Dirty Jack Doyle baseball card. They also have a ticket discount only for members of the Irish American Baseball Society. The process for that one's a little bit different. You're going to have to call the front office directly or fill out their PDF form. If you call them, please mention that you're a member of the Irish American Baseball Society. I believe the discount is about 6 or $7, uh, depending on where you get the ticket. And we hope you come out. We will have a table and there will be someone from our membership committee at the table and, and so you can meet some other members of the society. You know, Looking big picture, we are trying to, to do more of these things this year. Hopefully getting to the point where we can do some indoor events uh, over the winter and then uh, do some stuff in the spring as well and and members of the Irish American Baseball Society will always receive either exclusive access or discounted tickets, depending on how big the event
1: is. That was John Fitzgerald, founder of the Irish American Baseball Society. I'm Rick Becker on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Right now, it is time for my interview with Patrick Mahoney, author of Recovering an Irish Voice from the American Frontier. How are you doing today, Patrick? Doing great, Rick. How are you? I am excellent. I'm very excited to talk about your new book, Recovering an Irish Voice from the American Frontier. Very interesting concept. So why don't you tell
0: all of our listeners about it? Yeah, thanks. So the new book is actually a collection of writings from an Irish immigrant uh, who went to the United States in the mid-19th century in 1863. And he wrote about his life there. And he kind of blended these autobiographical writings with the popular dime novel. So all of the kind of big boastful claims of characters like Buffalo Bill Cody are worked in and reflected in his own story. And he's a, he's a brilliant writer and he wrote these stories completely in Irish. So what my task was to kind of go through the archives and look at these unpublished stories and edit them down and then translate them into English. I suppose in, in doing that then, what we've actually done in this work is put the original Irish language text with facing pages to the English translation. So for those that are interested in seeing his, you know, the the Irish language, uh, that's also there along with the English translations.
1: So when we were talking even before starting this interview, I believe you said that you and your wife only speak Irish at home. Is that correct?
0: That is indeed correct. Yeah. Um, I suppose we, we would have kind of met, uh, speaking Irish. We were dating, we were speaking Irish, and then we just kind of kept it up. And as long as nobody's around that doesn't speak Irish, so we're not kind of excluding them, then we'd talk in Irish with one another. And you were born in the U.S. Did
1: speaking Irish, was that something that was in your family or did you want to learn it yourself?
0: Yeah. Uh, great question. So, In my own case, uh, there was Irish in my family going back and, you know, you even would have heard Irish spoken when I was a kid. Uh, Hartford, uh, the city of Hartford has quite a big Irish speaking population uh, from West Kerry, the Aran Islands, and even West Cork, where my own family's from. But my kind of engagement with the language really would have begun when I was in my late teens. Um, I was working... From uh, who's really become my mentor and he's maintained that kind of role uh, in in my life as a mentor but uh, a fellow from north belfast he immigrated to the united states in the 1980s but he would have been an irish speaker or he is an irish speaker i should say he gave me a job working on a construction site during the summers when i was in university i suppose every morning i would get to the site about a half hour early and he would give me a, a language lesson uh, which we would record down on my phone And he was a real character. And, you know, he'd just say, a baby doesn't learn a language by writing it down. It learns by listening and repeating and kind of putting it all together. So we'd make these kind of lessons on my kind of iPhone at the time, old school iPhone. And I would listen back to the lessons. And then every day we would speak a bit more Irish together. And then after three or four years working with him on the site, um, I was able to really speak Irish, um, even though and he. I suppose I wasn't fully able to understand the other dialects at that stage. Um, And then I did a degree in Irish as well then later on. So that kind of helped me have a broader understanding of the language.
1: And of course, your knowledge and love for the Irish language is such an integral part of this book. How did you come about these writings? And then what made you just even come up with the idea to do it?
0: Yeah, I first came across Owen O'Cahill really as just a footnote. In a, in a text, somebody had mentioned this Irish immigrant who was writing stories, as they put it, about the American West and delivered in kind of the oceanic verse of Oisin and, and Fionn and the Fianna of kind of Irish myth. They said he was blending Irish myth with American folklore. And that fascinated me because I, I would have grown up kind of very well-versed in the stories of Fionn and the Fianna, but also I had an equal interest in you know, Westerns on on the TV or paperback Western, um, you know, books and short stories. That piqued my interest. And then I looked into, okay, well, where are these papers held? um, You know, these poems really is all I knew existed at that stage. Um, And I saw that they were held in the National Library of Ireland. So I went to the National Library and sat down and took a look. And I realized that there were actually long prose writings uh, that O'Cahoe had actually written. And I read the poetry, I read the prose. And I just thought that, you know, the reflections that he gave into life in America in the 19th century and early 20th century were fascinating. Immediately thought that, you know, a larger audience, both an English language audience and an Irish language audience would certainly benefit from the insights that he provided in these these works. He himself, it was kind of his dream to see these in print and published in Ireland, uh, in Irish. And that actually never came to fruition, unfortunately, before he died. But he was sending them back to Ireland to be published. In some sense, I I was kind of attempting to um, fulfill his wish to see these stories uh, reach the hands of readers.
1: That has to be incredibly rewarding to have been able to do that, knowing that he was writing all of this in an effort to get it published, to get it published in Ireland, to share these stories. And he wasn't able to do that necessarily, but now you have been able to all these years later, like a hundred years later, you have been able to get these published and kind of accomplish his dream.
0: Yeah. I suppose one of the the most rewarding things for me in this whole process of putting the book together and seeing it come out and actually, you know, having it in my hands has actually been during the, the research. It was actually during the first lockdown last year here in March or February I was able to make contact with some of his descendants, both in Limerick and in California. They were integral in the process of kind of putting his life together and deciphering fact from fiction. I suppose just even providing, you know, some of his papers and images of them to see since it's come out, you know, I've sent over copies to um, to both, you know, sets of families in Ireland and England. And to see their, you know, satisfaction at it um, and their kind of, You know, their delight to see their ancestors work in print uh, has made the whole thing worth it for me.
1: So did this almost start as a quarantine project for you? Was this one of the things that you tried to do to make it through everything going on with the pandemic? Or was it something you were planning on doing beforehand and that just gave you the time?
0: Well, if it didn't start as a quarantine project, it quickly became one, I think I can say. But I'd actually gotten uh, funding from the Irish Fulbright Commission. Uh, to carry out the project, so that came through in September of last year. I was actually undertaking the project really in the kind of autumn, um, and you know, going through these te- transcribing the text at that stage and editing them down. When everything, you know, the the great break stopped on the world with uh, with the pandemic, so that kind of gave me a lot more time, being in the apartment nearly twenty four twenty four hours a day to. I suppose just kind of devote the time that was really needed to to go through and um, hopefully do Owen O'Cahill justice.
1: And I think judging by your story, I'm hearing that you did something a lot of us have done in the pandemic where you sort of skipped 2020. I think when you said last year (laughs) you got the funding, you actually meant 2019. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Yeah, 2019. So I've blocked out the year of the pandemic.
1: So moving forward with it, what are some of the insights that somebody reading this is going to get? What are you going to learn about the Western experience, the Irish immigrant experience that you wouldn't have learned maybe from a textbook or by reading other books on the subject?
0: Well, I mean, I think people will learn quite a bit. Um, Particularly, I mean, there's, I think, a a unique outlook that comes when you're operating through a particular language. Up until this point, the kind of unique perspective of Irish-speaking immigrants in the United States often aren't at the fore of the kind of immigrant experience that we think of. There's a great book, Raoul Moranthiel, and Thiel, um, which was translated to English, I think, as The Hard Road to Klondike, but it's by a Donegal immigrant called uh, Mickey McGowan. He talks about his kind of journey going out to the Klondike and pretty much everywhere in between as well. Uh, in the West. But Owen O'Cahill, uh, I suppose, provides a different experience than than Mickey McGowan. And he wasn't a native speaker of the Irish language. He learned the Irish language, very much kind of chose to represent his story through the medium of Irish. One of the most fascinating things I think that we can say about Owen O'Cahill, he adapts the language for the landscape and the kind of Physical landscape, but also the historical and cultural landscapes around him. Uh, for example, he makes up Irish language words for things like the little bighorn, um, our Moor, is the Gaelic like word he gives to that, and also for everything from conflicts with Native American tribes to building a cabin in the, the Michigan wilderness. He describes all of these things through the Irish language, and he has a great sense of humor as well, which I think really comes through in his writings.
1: I'd be interested to hear some of those conflicts with the Native American tribes and different interactions with Native Americans on the frontier, because there actually has been sort of a, a kinship, in some ways, between Native Americans and the Irish people. But then you have an Irish immigrant who probably has maybe a different experience in that relationship. If you could maybe talk about that a little.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. I think Owen O'Cahill actually is a, is a perfect example of of the kind of complexities of those relationships because in his earlier stories set in the American Southwest, they are very much typical of the kind of conquest narrative or the, you know, the narrative of westward expansion and the conflicts that arose as a result of the westward expansion. He depicts himself as a member of the U.S., I was a member of a wagon train, but attached to a company of the U.S. cavalry. In one instance, he describes this kind of um, masterful counter ambush of an Indian war party in which they killed a whole war party And there's a Mexican member of his kind of group that scalps the corpses. And it's in very vivid detail there. But then on the other hand, in his kind of later stories, he does depict a sympathy for Native Americans and depicts them in a really favorable light. Oftentimes they're kind of his hunting partners. And there's one story where uh, there's a French-American fur trading agent who has a few, I won't give give it away, I'll, I'll leave the spoiler alerts. But he has a few kind of unfortunate circumstances, and he notes that he's turning his back forever on his own race, and he actually goes and lives with a group of Native Americans, Um, and they welcome him in, and O'Kahal, you know, in quite uh, sharp language, depicts the difference between colonial settlers and the Native American way of life. You get a little bit of both throughout the course of these stories, but then Even, I suppose, in terms of American expansion and American imperialism, O'Kahal is just a very complex character. I have one letter included in the book where he actually talks about the outbreak of the Spanish-American War in 1898. And he kind of, I suppose, shown this kind of bicultural sense of identity. He says, after American intervention in Cuba and the Philippines, they'll actually have the type of government that I'd like to see in Ireland. (laughs) So he sees it in a totally positive light, devoid of any of the maybe negative consequences. But he would have been very much a man of his time uh, throughout the time that he's writing, whether it's the mid-19th century or the kind of early 20th.
1: That was Patrick Mahoney, author of Recovering an Irish Voice from the American Frontier. For Mr. Mahoney, Irish-American Baseball Society founder John Fitzgerald, Pat O'Keefe, sports director for News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn, and my colleague Jim Ward. I am Rick Becker, and this has been episode 13 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. This episode marks six months of doing this show, and I want to personally thank all of you for the support.
0: Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.